HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45 from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. No horn. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Join us. Dave's pissed at me, people, because I'm effing with the microphone here. Because Stop it, touching it. You already broke it. Oh, I did not break it. You see that epoxy on the shock mount? That's because of you. Why can't the mic point from the... Why can't the... Back of the mic point down and the front of the mic point up. It can if you loosen the screws properly. No, look, what? You're just twisting just it. No, no, because it does the back cord. You're doesn't just twisting. Work. Nastasia's works. So sit in her chair. Oh, he oh, hell no. He doesn't oh, want to. Oh, hell no. Hell no. We're in the ongoing battle of the of the we are the road crew. Lemmy. Well, oh, work? those screws. Oh my God! What's up, technical genius Dave? Although this, yeah, I went yeah. to college too. Ah, <laughs> wow! So All easy. that time. So easy, Mr. Technology. Dave's like, don't touch the shock mount again, you jerk. Or it's gonna give you an electric shock. Oh, I wish. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. That would be so I, uh, so Robert Plant of me to I get electrocuted. I got a list of people I want to shock. Yeah. Did he get electrocuted? He no. got wicked electrocuted. They uh they used to have non isolated equipment. And he was out playing, I think, in the rain. Mm. Was it Plant or was it Daltrey? One of those guys. Dave, do you know? I think it was Roger Daltrey, actually. Yeah, so Daltrey, I think it was Daltrey, right, because he's spinning that microphone, probably stressing the hell out of that right. XLR. <laughs> right? Getting all frayed. Yeah, yeah, and then it's just like like rain. <laughs> like on a non-isolate. Well, if you, if, Dave, you ever played Rock with like really roll. old amplifiers? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I used to have like a 1970s vintage custom with a K vinyl uh, upholstered like Eddie Munster style bass amp. Okay. And that mother that mother used to throw 120 volts across my uh, across the barrels of my connectors like on the regular. So I would just be like pow pow like even just like normal without water. Like, that old that old 70s equipment wasn't uh, you know safe. 
know what I mean? I don't think it was rubber dolls. Wasn't about safe, though. Wasn't about safe. It's about rock and roll, right? That's what I'm saying. Uh, speaking of which, Nastasia, uh, the Hammer Lopez, how you doing? Good. So this is not cooking related, but I'll get it out of the way now. For those of you that, uh, and by the way, Johnny Hunter's going to call in in a couple of minutes to... Wait, is this going to be a fun personal story? No. Oh. Well, Nastasia Lopez hates, hates, hates country music. Right? What? Yeah, she hates country music. Well, no, that's not true. She met Merle Haggard and was like, so what? Literally... We flew to California to meet Merle Haggard. I did it for you. Yeah, but you meet like one of the like, <laughs> like the le- like the all time legends, and you're like meh. But I did it for you. Meh. Anyways, I don't like country music because Dave loves oh because he does this annoying thing where every time this a song that he likes that's a country song plays, he will be like, God, can you believe? He, she left him. Can you believe she left him with the kids? And I'm, every time. Uh, okay, Nastasia hates, like, Nastasia hates like, story you, songs. You and the know, only thing she hates more than story songs is happens. discussing story songs. But he discusses the same song well, all the time. Because it's the same story. It's Which like song? Any song. Any, any, any song. Any. So anyway, so there's a... Like, uh, like there, Tina a Turner. What's that one? Where what, he, one? The Midnight Train to Georgia. You're like, why, not, is what? She, why is she going to go back down with him when he's bringing her down and she has a good job in New York and he wants to go back to Georgia it's like a, a mistake. loser. It's a mistake. <laughs> know, but every time. It's a mistake. Yeah, why are you putting it all on her? <laughs> I know. Well, no, I'm saying she shouldn't give up her dreams just for how good can this guy be? <laughs> Odds are they're going to break up when they go back to Georgia anyway. Yeah, true. You know what I mean? Uh, they can't even afford the daytime train. <laughs> it's no good. Anyway, that, that's not my point. But So she hates story songs. There's a famous uh, David Allen Coe song. He didn't write, write it, but in which he jokingly tries to hit everything that a country music song is about. So it's it's uh, trains, trucks, prison, uh, drinking, uh, mama, and rainstorms. So this one verse hits all of that. But I found, and he did that on purpose as a joke. I found a song. It hits almost everything that Nastasia hates. It's by a guy named Johnny Paycheck. Who the only song you might know by Johnny Paycheck is uh, uh, "The Only Home My Mama Ever Raised." He also wrote okay. uh, "I'm Gonna Take This Job and Take This Job and Shove It." Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Anyways, so Johnny Paycheck has a song that Nastasi would hate more than anything. It's hyper twangy, bad production value, like white dude music. Already she hates it. Then already done. It's a story song. Done. But get this. Get this. It's a story about him on a train. It's called Billy Jack Washburn, right? And he finds this guy almost dead. He's hoboing on a train when he gets out of jail. So that's everything right there. He's drinking. He finds this guy almost dead in a boxcar. He becomes like a father to him. Then the guy falls in between the trains and gets crushed and dies. He picks up the body. Only then does he look at the ID and finds out it's his long-lost brother. Mm. Yeah, you like that? That's everything you hate. I'm going to play it constantly. And discuss it. And discuss it constantly. I'll be like this. Can you believe What's there to discuss? How did he knew it wasn't his own brother? He'll go into the entire like, guy's life. I'm like, how time. old was the mom? The guy says he hasn't been <laughs> home in 22 years, doesn't even know he has a brother. Like, what are the freaking odds that 22 years later, he's on the tracks and he becomes a mentor to his own brother? What are the odds? What are the odds? Yeah, it's like an ESPN like play-by-play, but every time the song comes on. Oh my God, by the way, uh, I don't know how to find it, people, but uh, the Seattle, one of the Seattle play-by-play people, right, did a play-by-play of a drunk person trying to break into a truck with a broom handle. Or at the end, he like falls off of a roof. But it's, it's the funniest like sports play-by-play ever. Hmm. Nastasia is very angry, by the way, that the Pats lost. No, I am not. Really? I thought, I thought it was you were a huge Nobody likes the Patriots. Uh, Nastasia does. They've won a lot. Do you... They've won a lot. Hmm. Anyway, I think it was good. Did me. you cook anything for the Super Bowl, Nastasia? I did. I did chili. What kind and of chili? I did Philly cheese Nastasia doesn't... Tom Brady wouldn't eat that because he doesn't eat nightshades. 
What? That's true. That's the dumbest thing I've ever he heard in my life. He also thinks that if you drink enough water, you don't need sunscreen. Um, That's so stupid. He's the male goop. He's a, he's a moron. Like the fact of the matter is, he's wearing a helmet all the time and like full body armor for playing football. Maybe that's why he thinks he doesn't need but any sunscreen. And when he's not, he's wearing a Make America Great Again hat. Oh, oh Jesus! No, really? So listen, my point is, is it doesn't eat nightshades, so no potatoes. Yeah. Isn't he also a vegan? Yeah. What the Man. hell does he eat? He's not going to eat potatoes, which are semi-related, right? Tomatoes. Eggplant, tobacco. Eggplant. I mean, just like Goop, he pushes this whole What's health he lifestyle that you goop? need to have a lot of money Glenn to actually Paltrow, live. Dave. What? Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow, no. pseudoscience. Her name is Goop? No. No, she, her company. Uh, oh, she has a company called Goop? You don't know about this? I feel like I you would... I explained it to him just I feel like, like you would rail against this. I w- I'm, I'm willfully ignoring it, because apparently Nastasia has explained it to me in I the have past. I explained it to And I, I must be willfully ignoring its existence. You know what I mean? Um, it's but kind of like, yeah. If, as people who listen to the show for a long time knows, Nastasia does not actually make chili. Nastasia makes oh, yeah. tomato no, beef no, no. stew. What I, yeah, but what I did is I bought that powder, the McCormick chili. What the hell is wrong with you? I was like, Why the hell would you use that? You know. Making chili <laughs> is so freaking easy. Like making chili, all you, get, all you need are dried chilies, some tomato products, cumin, a couple other spices, garlic, and I meat, know. I, you know. onions. What the hell? You- then I hid the pack deep into my trash before my friends came. But that's so ridiculous. Well, at least thank Christ your uh, your chili had cumin in it, yeah. which you don't normally. And I made Philly cheesesteaks. Oh, I love those. Hey. Okay, how do you do it? What? How do you? Make I the steak? had these bags of sous vide steak. <laughs> From whom? That's a little too fancy for From a Philly cheesesteak. Somebody. Somebody who you shall not name. <laughs> yes. Voldemort. Voldemort yes, made yes. your. All right. Uh, how were those? Good, with provolone. Provolone? Yeah. All right. That's legit. It doesn't have to be whiz. I say that as a Philadelphian. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So here's something I I will say that is not standard, not approved, but I like anyway. When I make cheesesteaks, I'm a Gruyere guy. Hmm. I like it. That would be good, too. Fancy. Oh, yeah. Now, like... Dave's too fancy. Can't make cheesesteaks with Dave. Uh, What is that? What was that? Some sort of... No, half French, half gump. (laughs) Forest Gump. Johnny is on the line. We got Johnny Hunter on the line. I got to find uh, Nastasia's uh, questions. Hold on a second. Hey, Johnny, how you doing? How's it uh, going up there in Madison? This is Johnny Hunter, the underground meats, underground food, and basically anything that you can like make or age underground, Johnny Hunter will do. Have you ever actually aged anything underground? Made anything underground? No, have you ever yeah, like, like shark or anything? Buried. What? We've like... I mean, I mean, we've buried vegetables to ferment them and such, but... <laughs> How was it? Uh, it was good. Yeah. Kind you, of you traditional made, Korean uh, kimchi. You never we've made any... we things underground. We've done, like, the uh-huh. whole, like, whole pig. Oh, cooking them underground, sure. You know what the thing is, like, is it really advantageous or is it just fun to do? Because, I mean, you can, it's hard to control the temperature of the earth. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, it's just a fun thing to do. Yeah. All right, yeah. I, I buy that. You know what? Like, as I'm getting older... I'm okay with things that are just fun, except for in the new bar. I'm having Johnny. See what you think. I'm having a, a like a vicious, like almost drawing blood, coming to blows argument over ice in cocktails. Oh, but we'll get into it later when we actually open the bar. I'll have Don Lee on. We'll have Jack, and we'll just discuss the merits and demerits of 
uh, icing. Nastasia is like scooting across the. There's a SpaceX launch at 1:30. I need to charge my phone. Nastasia is charging her phone instead of listening to you, Johnny. I don't know how that makes you feel. Anyway, we Wait, have someone. What? SpaceX launch. Oh, there's a, yeah, there's a huge rocket launch yeah. later today that apparently is like some sort of deep space equivalent. And everyone knows Nastasia is a huge fan of the Musk family Robinson there. Yeah, wait, aren't they <laughs> shooting a Tesla into space or something? Yeah. What um, happens why if would it, you do that? What happens no, if it re-enters like, the atmosphere and crushes a city? Where's the charging station in space? No, it's just going to get in the orbit. Why would you want a car in space? It's cool. Like, won't it eventually come crashing down to Earth again? It'll burn up. It'll burn up. Yeah. you got to design it to burn up. You know what I mean? I it's like probably did. It's like, although, like, old school... The thing is, like, when you throw, like... Like big objects into space. Now everyone on Earth has to track that sucker and be like, "Let's not hit that when we launch something." <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like a real, <laughs> it's a real pooping on everybody's like. It's like the you know, it's like pooping on somebody else's lawn. Really, you know what I mean? I mean, I want a Tesla. Nastasia, by the way, I don't know if you know this. Nastasia is going to take delivery of a Tesla sometime in the I summer. I waited in line. It sounds like I'm rich, but I waited in line <laughs> for the thousand dollar deal. To yep. be to pre-order your Tesla, and, and those are the people. By the way, Nastasia like makes all of these stories. I can't, I can't afford cable. I don't deserve cable. You guys right. must have sold a billion Searsalls. No, no. Oh Jesus, Searsalls back off stock again. <laughs> 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 it's so irritating, people. Like I can't control it. Nastasia and I have a set of. Uh, we have a a bunch of them coming in that we will own and that we will sell. In a month, and Amazon, I don't know what the... People, I want you to know, Amazon is literally... Jeff Bezos spends all of his time making Super Bowl commercials right now, and not enough time worrying about what the hell's going on. That was on. terrifying, they, by the way. Right, right? They lost, they lost, 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 over a thousand Searsalls that, by the way, they have not paid us for. Mm-hmm. True or false? True. Stuff, so. True. But we paid for them. We paid. Mm-hmm. We, we paid. Yeah. Customers angry at us, even though we've paid, mm-hmm. Amazon not paid. Week. All right, so Johnny, this is why you're on. Someone uh, somehow uh, a question came in to for the show that you did, and somehow it didn't make it through. So I'm going to read it now. You ready? Yep. All right. Fairly new to charcuterie, so I was Wait, excited. He got the question. Just to let you know. What? I sent him the question, so he knows it too. Oh well, I have to read it anyway because the Sorry. people who you know aren't Johnny okay. or you. I'm just letting you know. Okay. I'm fairly new to charcuterie, so I was excited to hear about a potential curing focused episode. Well, we're doing the you know we're doing the extended extended. Because that was an extended episode, which I think people enjoyed, Johnny. Uh, yeah, I got a lot of really positive feedback on that. Yeah, it, the extensions are always the best. For some reason, we're sitting there, like, you know, eating pizza, just talking garbage. Anyway, uh, below are a few questions I have. Uh, I've included pictures of my curing chamber, which I can't see here, and my pancetta. Uh, although, okay. Uh, they're not on there? I don't know. It doesn't matter because people on the radio can't see it, so it doesn't matter. It could be a picture of a goat or I'm it could be a picture of SpaceX. John, it doesn't Johnny, matter because you, people on space can't. Johnny, what? did you see the photos? Yeah, I see the photo. All right. If you scroll down, you'll yeah. see it. Yeah. The chamber has a simple PID for uh, temperature, and a humidifier is outside the chamber on a humidity controller. There's an IP57. By the way, IP57, people, is just a, like a, a splash a splash and dust rating kind of thing. Uh, fan on the same controller output that pulls the humidified air. Uh, I added a chute to guide the mist, yada, yada. So it's, you know, it's, not a, it's, a, it's a fairly well set up. Uh, it sounds like a fairly well set up system. The fan yeah, brings I was going to give uh, major props to Tom on setting up a really nice chamber. <laughs> yeah, right? The fan brings in freshest basement air uh, and allows the chamber to be uncluttered. I didn't want to refill the humidifier, so it's plumbed into my water line uh, with <laughs> copper. I mean, that's, that's badass right there. 
uh, and a float I, I in the humidifier. I to come set up my new cheering chamber at the facility. Yeah, Tom, you, but what you got to do is you got to like, like rent yourself out now because the truth of the matter is, Tom, that people who – and, you know, Johnny, you tell me. The, the majority of people who do this for a living don't have time to go find a float switch and like take copper lines and plumb it in and get it all working. So if you want – like uh, I don't, and all, but unfortunately, chefs don't have a lot of money. But they will buy this stuff if you show up and set this up. They will give you free whatever for like a long time. You'll like become like you know most valued customer. You'll get like free crap. So you, it's very easy if you have a skill like this to trade this skill for free dinners. Am I right, Johnny? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tom, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um, questions. How important is it to measure the – he says AW. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's water activity. I don't know why it's AW and not WA, but a, capital A, little w, stands for the water activity. And um, anyway, I'll read the question, and then I'll say something, and then I'll let Johnny talk about it. Uh, how important is it to monitor uh, water activity? Is weight accurate enough? I'd like to adjust the humidity early in the cure based on moisture content to prevent case hardening. Uh, so what that what that means is is uh, if you try to dry uh, meats too quickly, you dry out just the surface and the inside stays very wet, and that messes with the cure for the entire time. It's like it's it's a bi- it's a big problem. So that's why you really want to regulate humidity and not dry too quickly. Anyway, but would like some data behind it. Ideally, uh, I'd have continuous data logging of the moisture or weight, but I'm not sure of that feasibility. If water Water content is the best bet. Any equipment recommendations? Okay, now, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to say my piece and let Johnny go. Water activity without specialized equipment is extremely difficult to measure. Uh, most commercial sausage producers are measuring, I believe, water activity. Old school measurements for ham are done by weight just because it's the only thing that's easily feasible. But you do have to worry about uh, case hardening. Now, what are your thoughts, Johnny? Well, that, that was... What I was going to say is that, you know, weight doesn't necessarily mean that there's not loose water in the product, and that could potentially lead to some sort of bacterial growth that you weren't seeing. So what I would say, though, a couple things. One, doing a whole muscle like pancetta is less dangerous than doing something like sausage because you're not having the grind step. Right. The second thing is um, I think you can just take visual cues. To whether or not the product turned out. So if you if you recognize case hardening in the product, then that's going to be a problem. If it smells off, if it's too soft or moist at any point, um, I'd be worried about that. The only question I had was whether or not he used nitrates here because botulism would be the one thing that would make me a little bit concerned with the rolled-up pancetta. Right. I mean, like one thing I, I would... I'll, you know, like, and I'd like you to talk about this for a second before I go on to the second part of the question. But I think something that uh, people kind of need to go back to the basics on is kind of the two things. One, the concept of multiple hurdles. And uh, second is like knowing whether or not you're riding on the edge, right? So like if, yeah. you're, if you're in industry, you know, consistency is the most important thing. Uh, you know, there's safety first, then consistency afterwards. And so monitoring... Uh, and, and also, they're pushing the limits of trying to do things as fast as possible. So they need to get their the water activity measured uh, because you know it's consistent. It's, you know the answers, blah blah blah, right? But uh, if you you know if you aren't uh, uh, acting that way, if you're not living at the edge of the envelope of safety, right? You have multiple hurdles protecting you. So Johnny points out nitrates. Nitrates are going to protect against uh, botulism, right? Also, most people when they're curing uh, non-whole muscle cuts 
are um, letting it ferment to a way lower pH than is necessary. Very, not that many people are going for that like super sweet, super low acid. Although I do enjoy those uh, sausages, right? So, you know, you have your nitrates, nitrites. You have your uh, your acid from your initial um, ferment, and then most people are also drying it more than is necessary. And probably have the one thing that they people probably do mess with in the wrong direction. I would say is the salt, uh, but like you, when you have like those all of those multiple hurdles, the chance that any one thing is going to screw you, I think, is relatively low. Now, if you're doing a minimally dried product that is uh, you know not been fermented and it has a you know if you take away a bunch of those hurdles, well now you got to start worrying. I mean, what, what do you think, Johnny? Yeah, I mean. If he was pulling something out that would look too wet and he wasn't using nitrates and, you know, it smelled off, you know, that's, then you start to get concerned. But, if you know, the correct salting and the time that allowed for salting, and if he's following the recipes from the books that he mentions later, then I'm not too worried about it. The one thing I was going to mention is you can get a third party to test the water activity if you really are, are concerned. Um, and that could happen at most any food safety lab or you can send off product and it's like a $30 test. I had this idea, Johnny, you ready for this idea? And I was never able to get it to work, but are you, tell me whether you're ready. Yeah. Cause I think, I think this could work. So the water activity, right? You should, shouldn't you be able, cause the water activity is measuring kind of like how much free water there is in, in a product, right? So yep. something that people don't think about is they, they, they think, for instance, that something that thickens things lowers the water activity. Not true. Not true at all. Right? So like gels and anything you add that all it's doing is making it appear like the thing is drier isn't actually reducing the water activity. Right? But shouldn't it be – and maybe it's not. And I've been told it's not, so it must not be. But I tried once to take uh, samples of known water activity, seal them in vacuum bags, and then – uh, throw throw them into a vacuum chamber and see whether if you put an a, a, an unknown sample in whether the like okay so the the one that's driest puffs last everyone knows anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about when you put a sealed <laughs> vacuum bag into a vacuum chamber at a certain point the um, the interior vacuum level of the bag uh, of, of the chamber is such that the moisture in your bag will um, start evaporating off the surface of your food and the bag will inflate like a pillow, right? And that, I believe, is related directly to the water activity of the product. So it would seem that as long as all the temperatures were the same, that you'd be able to take, let's say, a series of known water activities in bags, throw them into a vacuum chamber as like an indicator, and then throw in your sample bagged and then see, you know, oh, my sample puffs in between these two, so it must be at that. Isn't, don't you think that should be possible, Johnny? I mean, that makes sense to me. My only thought is if you had heart, case hardening at any level, then that could potentially, like, make your perception off on what's puffing and not. Right. You'd have to slice it. Whatever, it, like, the sample that's in your vac bag, you'd have to, like, slice it up. But I don't know why that wouldn't work. I think someone told me once they didn't think it would work, but I don't know why that wouldn't work. Um, yeah. You know, maybe someone... Idea. Yeah, maybe someone here can uh, talk about. It. But do you have something to test that stuff, or do you just go based on weights? Yeah, so we bought a we bought a water activity meter 
Um, and so every and if you're if you're doing any commercial production, you have to do it. So. And the way those work, right? You, they have a little chamber. You seal it in the chamber. You let it equilibrate. Blah 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 blah. Right? How long does it take to test? Five minutes. Oh, so it's not so bad. But how much does that no. piece of the equipment other, cost? The other thing, since he's not making sausage, just to think about, is that he does. If he he would want to use a pH meter, and it might even be worthwhile to get the pH on the on the product because you do still have a shelf stability factor that matters with um, pH plus water activity. How much of a drop are you going to get on a whole muscle cut? Uh, we probably, I mean, meat's naturally around five, six, so you're probably dropping down to five, three. Right. So it's a lot. Which is significant. Right. Because everyone remember, every single whole number in pH is tenfold, is a tenfold increase in, uh, in, uh, free hydrogen. Um. Yeah. Yep. So the second part of his question was on the, the book series. Right. Let me just read what he said um, so people know. Okay. What literature uh, is worth reading? Uh, what, what literature worth reading is there that I might not find on Amazon? I've read Charcuterie, uh, Home Production of Quality Meats and Sausages, and I'm working my way through the art of making fermented sausages. The more technical, the better, uh, though the Mariansky books may have already, already have optimized bringing technical instruction to the home producer. What do you think? Uh, yeah, so my favorite... Um charcuterie book that I read kind of starting off was the Cooking by Hand by Paul Bocholi, which has like some really great essays, I think, on sausage making and meat processing. All around great book, um, though, in general. Yeah. On mentality. So, you know what I mean? On mentality of cooking and caring about things. Great book. Do people still read that book, yeah, Johnny? I mean, I still use it. It's, I go back to it because he just has a lot of really good information. So his section on, on sausage and stuff, I think, is some of the best fundamentals of explaining how to make a product and how kind of the environment affects the drying. Right. The, the only, but I mean, I haven't read it in a long, long time. You have looked at it recently, but the, it's, it's, it's getting on to be about 15 years old, right? That book came out before the original uh, Simon's Ruhlman charcuterie book did uh, at a time when the only available reference that normal people could get at a bookstore, and this is prior to, you know, Amazon, frankly, I think, or around the time that came out, was Rytek Kutas's uh, The Sausage Maker, if you, anyone remembers that old tome. Um, so it was kind of one of the lone voices in the wilderness in English on how to make, uh, you know, that wasn't a very expensive um, professional book that you could get. So and you, does it still holds up all this time later? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, I think, I mean, it's better than the Roman book. Wow, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there because you know my old, my, my old editor is, you know, is the editor of that book, and uh, so yeah, you, I never say anything ever against a Maria Guarnaschelli production ever because you know lightning, the, the sky will open and a lightning bolt will go through my head and strike me dead. Uh, and yeah, then, I mean, I think the Roman book was an important book because it was the first one out there. I just think. Right, the first one out there. That well, again, there was the sausage maker, but the thing is, like, so much of that data is like in the sausage maker. Like, I just don't trust. You remember that book? You ever see even see that book? Picture of him on the yeah, front. Yeah, there was like a copy floating around for a while, and it was there's a lot of wrong things in it. First of all, I, like I love like the attitude of that guy. The guy was from upstate New York, and the company still exists. That that you know he he's passed away. I think maybe one of his sons runs the company now. The dude hard smoked everything the guy wanted everything to taste like kielbasa <laughs> he basically he's like you t- give him any recipe he's like how can i make this recipe taste like kielbasa 
You know what I mean? That's that's basically. Do you remember this, Johnny? I mean, if, I don't know if you remember yeah, the yeah. book at all. But yeah, that was it. I was like, whoa, man, you're throwing some hard smoke on that, brother. You know what I mean? I was like, it was a uh, yeah, interesting, interesting book there. Um, the other thing I was wanted to point towards as far as resource goes is there's a couple of Facebook groups that are pretty useful, um, and I can I'll tweet out links to those ones later if people want to know. Yeah, do it. Tweet. Yeah, tweet. Uh, tweet. I don't know whether Dave. What's the best way to do this? Put it on. Just have him tweet it on his. So, what's your Twitter handle, Johnny? Uh, we're Johnny yeah. Hunter. And tag tag Heritage Radio or tag Cooking Issues or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I'll tag you and, and Heritage Radio. So, but now, all of a sudden now you're running out of all your characters. So I don't know. You know, I don't know what you're going to do with that. <laughs> By the way, uh, now you know Madison, Wisconsin is like somewhat close to Canada, right? So. Do you, have you ever, and I know it's not like, you know, you have to go over to Toronto and whatnot, but have you ever done uh, a pea meal bacon? Canadian oh, yeah. stuff. Have you made a good one? Yeah. I love that stuff. Why does no one in America sell the real stuff? Why do we have that horrific... See, I think, like, I've said this before on the show, it's one of those things where, you know, Americans like to poke fun at Canadians, right? And, like, but they shouldn't do it by passing off that crap they sell in the U.S. as Canadian bacon because that's, that's not, like, poking fun at someone. A, that's a bad product, and B, it's slanderous to the actual product. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the female bacon's super easy to make. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, like, a, a, loin, a, a boneless loin and a little bit of cure. Now, are you a cornmeal on your female bacon or are you a pea meal on your female bacon guy? I mean, I, I think the female is kind of the traditional. Yeah. I had a sandwich of that uh, the last time I was in Toronto, and I was like, oh, man, I feel bad. All the insults over all the years that I've leveled <laughs> at uh, this product have been misplaced. Uh, so finally, Tom wrote, are there lesser known whole cuts that I should be considering for dry cure? I have access to a butcher that breaks down whole animals, so anything's on the table. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, you can cure quite a bit with a pig, but the one thing that I think people might have a good time with is a speck, which is using the sirloin, um, which is a pretty cheap cut and easy to cure and gets a lot of that ham flavor and a lot less time. Do you, uh, are you a fan of the, the heavy juniper on that? I know I am. Yeah, for sure. Do you believe in keeping your speck flat or do you roll that thing? Uh, we keep it flat. Either I, to slice. Yeah. I like it flat, too. I like it flat and pressed. Oh, by the way, I shouldn't say this, but Johnny, have you been on Amazon uh, Prime Video and have you looked up the Hormel video? No, I haven't. Oh, I mean, I shouldn't say about this because I think the museum might do a, a thing on it, uh, you know, like some sort of a program based around it. But everyone needs to go on their Amazon Prime account. I like how I'm pushing Amazon, even though we I hate know. them. Whatever. They, whatever. I've, like I said, like they're terrible to sell to, but they're awesome to buy from. I'm conflicted. I'm of two minds. There is a, a video, Johnny. You must watch it as soon as you hang up. Uh, it's a 30-minute video from the, I think, mid-60s, where it's the very last point in time when it was cool to be industrial meat production. And so there's two kids watching trains go by, two extremely white children watching trains go by, being like, look at all those Hormel cars. You know what I mean? And they're like, and then they're like, maybe, uh, maybe dad will take us to the Hormel plant. So they write a letter to Hormel. A woman, because all the secretaries, of course, are women, opens the letter and arranges for the family. Of course, the, even though the mom is involved, the dad takes them to the Hormel plant, of course. Of course. It, uh, it, it, it is, it is, 
you don't actually see them sticking the pigs in the cows, but from the minute they're bled out, you see like the automated knife that cuts the pigs in half. You see like the, <laughs> the bacon press. You see like this person who uh, all they do all day is is a uh, is bone hams. There's a guy with a uh, a face trimmer. So like uh, it trims off of the or actually I guess off the backside. You know, trims off the uh, outside skin of, of the ham on the top side. And he's got an automatic machine, so he's literally rolling the hams through, like ripping the skins off. It shows you uh, the skin being turned into gelatin. It so shows you the skin being sent off to make footballs out of. It shows stripping the skins off of cows. It shows defleshing the cowhide. It shows making spam. It shows testing spam for uh, fat content with like a, like an electrical analyzer. The, no, the children are like, look at the Hormel plant. It shows making dinty more beef stew. It shows cooking things in cans. It shows an entire the entire industrial operation of turning pigs and cows into anything that pigs and cows can possibly be made of in a zero-waste phenomenon. There's a guy who's boning out the hams for their bone-pressed hams, and the guy is like... The guy is like freaking like the Zen monk. Like he just his hands like move like he's swimming through water, but instead he's just taking the bones out of hams. And it's miraculous until you realize that all this man did 24-7 during his work time was bone hams. It's like Simpson, it's like Bart Simpson in that episode where they're trapped in Japan. He's like, knife goes in, fish, you know, guts come out. Knife goes in, guts come out. It is, it is. With, you must watch it as a piece of Americana, as a piece of if you're pro or anti-industrial agriculture, you must see it for that. You must see it for a slice of like mid-century Amer- like American mentality. The gender relation stuff in it is intense because there are these, there's a 60-something-year-old woman working the line packing, get this, Hormel wieners into, into packages, right? And this entire line of women who are like making sure that these packages line up, they're all referred to, and Nastasia does this, uniformly referred to as girls. I'm just saying, girls put the wieners into the package, the 60-year-old woman there. And then <laughs> later on, there is a person who is a, a, a woman that they feel has actual skill who yeah. has a skilled job yeah. the only such woman in the entire uh, thing actually no, there's one woman do? scientist she's a woman what she's a woman what is the skill I forget what her I forget what her skill is <laughs> what does it matter what does it matter <laughs> I just a, what does it matter but and then at the end it's like look at Hormel's technology and then they have like these 1960s computers with the giant reel to reel tapes and they're like we can print our entire payroll in like an hour <laughs> So you must watch this if you're interested. Oh, and uh, the reason I brought this up is they show they don't have a ham press that they show in it, but they do show the bacon press. So they show like the the bacon sides going in. They show the needlers. They show like the continuous needling of the bacon sides as they go through, and then they show it being pressed into its bacon shape. Oh, and Johnny, if you really want to just be like drool. They show the rotary slicing knife for slicing the bacon into sliced bacon. And it's just like, like bacon slices coming out. It is intense. They show the spam cookers. I mean, it's about the coolest half hour of what the hell that you can watch for free on Amazon Prime Video. Have I sold this to you yet, Johnny? No, I'm so excited. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, Dave, we need to take a break so you can collect yourself. All right. All right, Johnny, thanks so much for calling in. Hope to see you soon. Uh, We'll be back in a couple minutes with more cooking issues.
Roberta is a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. All right. Wow. All right. So that music that they're playing there is actually what they play. Lunch music. Lunch music. In the pizza cooking place. Like, yeah. literally, like, that mixture of drag racing and, like, space guns and, yeah. like, metal, you know, metal, metal, heavy. Not, like, not like metal, like, not metal in the sense of, like, uh, not, like, glam metal. Mm-mm. Not, like, long hair. I mean, they have long hair, but mm-hmm. not, like, glamorous metal. More, like, <laughs> like, lots of double bass drum pedal. Like, lots of, you know, like... Just like anger, shouting, yeah, you know, yeah, we call like mosh pit. Yeah, my, uh, uh, wait, mosh pits aren't always like that. But anyway, uh, caller, you're on the air. Oh uh, yeah, Dave. Um, I, I had a sausage question for Johnny, but if we've lost him, I'll ask my other question. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think he, I mean, he's not on anymore. So yeah, uh, yeah, sorry. But but he might still be listening. So if you ask it, he might tweet a response <coughs> to you. Uh, well, I'm trying to sort out how to make the, the Chinese style lat chong. Um, Sausage. Is there any way to do those without a long, slow dry, or is that just is that just built in? Ooh, I don't know, Johnny. If you're still listening, tweet that tweet that on out on the uh, on the on the cooking issues and uh, call back. We got a line open. What or call back? Yeah. So what's your what's your non Johnny Hunter related question? Um, I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get a fried noodle to puff. Okay. Um. Has and, it has it already uh, been just, fried? Are you talking about like ramen? So I'm so I'm making I'm making a fresh egg noodle and and, the, and then deep frying it, and they come out really crisp and crunchy and otherwise good, but they're just a little too dense, and I would like them to just expand a little bit. All right, here's what you got to do. The, the, the trick is, uh, anytime you're puffing, what you need is you need to turn the um, well. Starch in the case of pasta, uh, gelatin in the case of uh, gelatin and collagen in the case of uh, of uh, pork skin or or chicken skin or fish skin. Uh, what you got to do is you got to um, fully gelatinize that stuff, and then you want to dry it uniformly, uniformly uh, to a I forget what the percentages are, but a relatively low moisture. I'm making this number up. I don't know, ten percent. The way you do it is you just like uh, when it looks glassy again, then as soon as it gets glassy, it's usually good. If you go further than that, it won't puff anymore. So the trick is you want to cook your pasta. Cook it in water. The reason not to fry it at this point is because you're trying to keep uh, the structure of the pasta relatively uh, intact. If you fry it now, the water will leave and the, the places where the water is will no longer be places that will expand when you puff, puff it later. Get me? So then what you do is you cook it. The longer you cook it, the better, although it starts to fall apart. But the longer you cook it, the better. I would cook it with uh, some salt in the water so that it has some flavor. Then spread it out and let it, let it dry. Even just like uh, letting it dry almost naturally is good enough if you turn it, turn it once or twice. Uh, but like a low oven with the door open, best is like low temperature and an Excalibur dehydrator. And if you want to, you can push the dehydration a little quicker. Like you can keep it up at like 130 for an hour or two to flash off some of the water and then drop it down to like 110, 115 and just let it ride until it gets, like I say, just gets glassy. This also works with rice. Uh, it works with, uh, 
uh, wheat, barley, anything, anything like this. Then uh, once it's at that state, you just throw it in the deep fryer or microwave it or use a, a heat gun for paint and they'll puff. But the trick is uh, cook, preferably overcook, par dry, and then fry. Okay. And, uh, and you can tweak it, I, right? I had no clue that was the way to go, so I'm glad I called you. Thank you very much. Yeah, and the, you can tweak it, right? So um, depending on how much water you leave in the product or depending on uh, uh, how much structure is left in it uh, by how much you cook, you can make it harder or puffier. You can get it anywhere from barely expanded to like, you know, like almost like, like pork rinds from a package, even with pasta. Uh, so... Anastasia knows she had to deal with this like week after week at uh, at the French culinary. And if you uh, old school, if you go on the old cooking issues blog, which might still be available somewhere on the internet, maybe it on is. the archive or something, there's a um, there's a, a whole post on puff snacks, which kind of goes over the parameters back when I had actually studied them. So I'd take a look at that. Thank you very much. All righty, let's know how it works out. Yep. All, All right. right. Well, we got to start wrapping up, Dave. It's that time. And I was like, all right. This, uh, what, I got like two minutes? I got two minutes, right? Yeah, you got two minutes. All right. Hello to the Cooking Issues gang. My friend has just informed me that he has discovered a jar of what was supposed to be strawberry-infused rum. Apparently, he submerged strawberries and rum in a mason jar, then forgot them for, in quotes, two or three years. He recently found it again and wants to know whether it's safe to drink. It smells like homemade jam, and there's no mold on it, but the strawberries turn into a gross brown mass in the bottom of the jar. Anastasia lo- loves nothing more than a gross brown yeah. mass. Um, he's running the liquid through a coffee filter, and so far, it seems to be turning out a pretty dark pink color, but the solid stuff looks gross. I'm sending along pictures, which I didn't see. Uh, I'm doubtful that it's safe, but what do you think? Jane from, uh, Toronto. And there's a, underneath that is, there's a related question, uh, from Fermenting Strawberries on Blake. Answer, uh, Jane is, that stuff's 100% safe. Look at it this way. Assuming you're using 40% alcohol rum, let's say you used equal weight strawberry to rum, which probably did not happen in this case. You're still over 20, you're at 20% or slightly over 20% alcohol. And so, as we like to say in French, you're good. You know what I mean? You're like, it's not, nothing's going to grow in that that's going to kill you. So then the question is, does it taste good or not? And if it tastes good, you're good to go. Uh, Also, I mean, what will grow? Nothing's going to grow. As long as, like, probably it's over 20% alcohol, but if it's 20 or above, you're, you're in, you're in real good shape there. And as long as it tastes good, oh, now the, the paste may be gross. Uh, a lot of times, fruit will absorb uh, the more dis- – well, though, over time like this, it probably is all equilibrated. But a lot of time, the solids can taste really nasty uh, because they've absorbed stuff that you don't like from the rum, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I would discard the solids and then drink the liquor. Although uh, my my stepfather, whose father died you know, recently – I talked about him. He was a butcher on the show. Finally, a couple of months ago, they found – those like 70 or 80, I don't even, they may be even older now, year old cherries. There's three left. So maybe we'll wait to eat them until I can cure my allergy. Or maybe I'll just sit there with an EpiPen and like my brother Gerard and I. He died. We, I, okay, so I didn't. I was supposed to write, I was supposed to get a magazine, people, to get an article together so I could have three generations of Adonisios. He died. Uh, having a Manhattan with this cherry that the fourth or fifth generation put down in the 20s, right? And yes, I never got it to happen, and now he's dead, and so now I have to wait another 20, you know, something years for Gerard to be old enough to be in that. I'm not going to wait that long to write this article, you know? And who the hell knows whether my brother's going to have a kid in time, so how am I going to get three generations of Adonisio? I'm not going to be able to get three generations of Adonisio together. This took a dark turn. (laughs) Uh, well, so uh, 
Blake wrote in about uh, fermenting strawberries. Maybe yeah. we'll talk more about it next week on Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thank you.